Welcome to the Facts Are What Matter podcast, where we discuss the lies, the myths, and the propaganda being promoted by the media and society. Let's all be informed, not uninformed, or even worse, misinformed. Here we go. Hello, I'm Dave Swinford, your host, and this episode is about climate change. Let's just consider this the introductory argument about climate change, because climate change is a broad subject, and we could have many, many episodes about climate change. Now, the first thing I want to talk about, the first issue is that I want to mention that climate change and environmentalism are not the same thing. Bur- you know, banning straws and trash in the oceans and soot in the air are not part of climate change. They're not driving the temperature. They're not driving the ocean levels. They're not driving natural disasters. It's just trash and soot and dirt. No one likes that. No one wants trash in the ocean. No one wants wants dirty air, un, unclean air, but it doesn't drive climate change. Now, I'm not going to talk, this is not about CO2 or carbon dioxide because that's really not a pollutant and we'll get to that in some other time. But climate change and environmentalism are not the same. Okay, number two. The science is not settled. The 97% consensus is a lie built on sketchy methods and selective sampling. So there's a guy by the name of John Cook and he and some others wrote a paper in 2013, and John Cook runs this website called skepticalscience.com. And what they did is they went back and they looked at 11,944 papers that were written between 1991 and 2011. And of those papers, 66% expressed no opinion at all about anthropogenic global warming, or in other words, human-caused global warming. So not 66.4% expressed no opinion. Of the remaining 34%, 97%, according to him, endorsed global warming. So there's a guy named David Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, and he has a place on davidfriedman.blogspot.com. And in 2014, he he went through and de- debunked this whole thing and looked at it. And John Cook had said had, had that he and his team had ranked, based on the abstract of these almost 12,000 papers, they put these in seven categories, where one, category one, said it's real, global warming is real, and humans cost it. And two and three had some other qualifying factors like not sure we may have caused it could be kind of sort of maybe and then the rest of them basically had nothing they didn't even talk about it right that's part of the 66 percent so anyways only level one said global warming was real and humans caused it so it was 64 out of 11,944. If you do the math on that, that's 1.6%. So 1.6% actually said global warming is real, 
Humans caused it. Not 97%, 1.6%. Number one, climate change and environmentalism are not the same. Number two, the science is not settled. The 97% consensus is a lie. Now let's go to number three. How do you measure climate change? How do you measure it? Do you measure it with temperature? Do you measure it with sea level? Do you measure it with natural events like hurricanes and tornadoes and volcanoes and earthquakes? How do you know it's how do you know it's happening and what is causing it? What is the baseline? So let's talk a little bit about temperature. So they know, looking back through historical data and and written records of people, of, of historians, we know there's been things such as the Roman warm period. There was a medieval warm period. There was also a little ice age. So the med- medieval warm period ran from 1140 to 1287, and it was followed by the little ice age, which was 1288 to 1807. And then that was followed by the modern period, which is 1808 to the current. We know there's these cycles that go on. We also know, we also know they've measured, they think there's an Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation and that runs for 66 years. So there's this Atlantic cycle that runs for 66 years. There's a Pacific cycle called the Pacific decadal oscillation. It runs for 60 years. And so those run independent of each other. And they're also in the Pacific, there's a La Nina and an El Nino cycle that run. And we've kind of heard those in the news. So there's all these cycles that are going on. And a lot of them we couldn't have caused. We couldn't have caused the medieval warm period, the Roman warm period. We didn't, there wasn't enough humans and enough activity fossil fuels, whatever they want to blame it on for us to have caused that. There's also sunspots that go on. And the sunspot cycles, you know, we've all heard of an 11-year sunspot cycle. There's a 22-year sunspot cycle. They think there's a 110-year sunspot cycle, a 400-year sunspot cycle, a 2,000-year sunspot cycle. Now, the sunspot cycle doesn't necessarily drive the temperature directly, but it does drive the electromagnetic field around the earth and that drives the cosmic rays and the cosmic rays drive the clouds and the clouds the clouds drive the temperature of the oceans because it changes how much sunlight gets through to the oceans and the oceans again we talked about the these big cycles in pacific and atlantic the temperature of the oceans basically drives a lot of the temperature of the earth so all that's going on to go back to the original questions, what should the temperature be? What should it be? And what does it mean? And how do we measure it? Well, the easy way to measure temperature is with a thermometer, right? That's easy. Everybody knows that. You just get a thermometer, you measure the temperature, done. The reality is, is we haven't had a thermometer. We didn't get a thermometer, a mercury thermometer, until 1714. So we really didn't have a really good way to measure temperature until after 1714. Okay, that's fine. We've had we got a temperature record for the last 300 years. Then you get to the specifics of 
It's an instrument. Is it calibrated? How often do you measure? Do you measure once a day? Do you measure twice a day? Do you measure the high and the low? Do you measure 24 times a day, like once an hour? Do you measure 86,400 times a day, which would be once a second? And you're going to average this across the whole world? How far apart do the temperature sensors need to be? Do they need to be evenly spaced? Oh, by the way, most of the temperature, most of the world is in water, not land. Most of the land is in the northern hemisphere, not the southern hemisphere. So what? how do you do this? What does it even mean? How do you do it? The new way to do it, the, the modern method, is since about 1978, 1979, there has been a uh, satellite, satellites have measured this data. And the University of Alabama Huntsville, uh, with the help of Dr. Roy Spencer, has been maintaining and building this data set. And they measure the lower tropospheric temperature with these satellites. But now we've just talked about this baseline and the timeline. That is only 40 years. That's only a little bit past 40 years. So if you want to go look at that, it's Dr. Roy Spencer, S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com, DrRoySpencer.com. And he has a big chart on there every month. They put it out, publish it every month. You can go look at it. The data's available. It's free. You can go look at it. He's got a lot of articles on there. You can go read those. Dr. Spencer is what you would call a uh, lukewarmer. He's doesn't he he believes we may have caused some of this global warming, but he's not convinced that that we can separate the human part from the natural part. So anyways, that's 40 years. 40 years of data. You can go look at it. It shows that we're up, you know, a couple of, I don't know, a couple of tenths of a degree C over the last 40 years. Again, the average over the 40 years or 30 years or some, some baseline and go look, plot it against that. And you can look at it and see if it's going up or down or staying the same. So how do we know what it was a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago? When I go get the historical data, they use what's called proxy data. And proxy data is data that stands in place of real data, right? So it's not a measurement, it's an indicator. They use other means to estimate the temperature. And the current way they do that is they go dig these ice cores out and they go down to Antarctica or they go up to Greenland and they have these machines and they dig these cores down, they go down way, way, way down to these glaciers, pull out these ice cores, lay them flat, and you can see the striations year to year to year inside in these cores. And they go look at these little stripes of ice and they look at the air bubbles and the gas bubbles in there and do the, look the radioisotopes. They have some indication of what the temperature was and the carbon dioxide levels and some of these other things that are going on. Now, that's not all that exact. It's not going to tell you it's 57.1 or 57.2. It's going to tell you it's 57 versus 80. It's not, it's, it's not a measurement. It's a proxy data. It's a measurement of something that's supposed to look like data. The other thing that's semi-famous, semi I guess, or is famous, 
is tree ring data. Now, there's a guy named Dr. Michael Mann, and he's the guy who came up with a famous hockey stick plot you may have heard of. And he went out and they looked at the growth rings on trees. You know, and we all know if you take a tree and you cut it down and you see these rings, these growth rings in the tree. You know, how do you know which where ring one starts? How do you know where any of those rings start? I'm assuming they can use carbon data to kind of figure that out a little bit, but it's not, it's, it's, you know, again, I don't think carbon data gives you year to the year. It gives you to hundred years or to some large number of years. And you have to ask the question, how, how do you know what the growing conditions were one place versus another? Because the growth rings aren't about temperature. The growth rings are about growing conditions. For instance, if you have a drought in North Alabama, the growing conditions for your trees are not going to be very good. But that same year, you may not have a drought in Georgia. The growing conditions may be great. So the tree rings of the trees in Georgia would be good versus Alabama, they'd be bad. So I don't, I don't, to me, that's very, very, very sketchy. So anyways, so we got ice cores, we have, we have tree rings, we have carbon data, get dating. So apparently these ice cores, they think they can go back as many as, as far as 400 to 800,000 years in these ice cores. They look at these radioisotopes and the gas bubbles. Um, they can see volcanic activity and dust particles that are stored in these little striations. And, um, but again, the measurements are in decades. They're not in, they're not in years. They're in centuries and decades, not in years. So where, where can you go get some data? Where can you get some more understanding of some of this? So, you know, I mentioned drroyspencer.com. Um, another, uh, person that does a lot of plotting trip temperatures and, and things like that. And is a guy named Tony Heller. He's got a website called realclimatescience.com. That's all one word, real climate science. And there's a website called trees for wood. And they basically consolidate all the data and you can go in there and you can sort through stuff and plot stuff and do go crazy and look at all kinds of look at all kinds of stuff that you want to look at. The other question you have to ask on this is, as my friend Larry said, is it bad? You know, do we cause it and is it bad? Let's say global warming is real. Let's say it is, let's say it is real. It's ongoing and it's real and you know, it's, it's really happening. You can't grow food on a glacier. You can grow it in the desert with water, some, some soil, some sun, and some CO2, but you can't grow food on a glacier. So one of the places I go 
have gone for years for work is Yuma, Arizona. And Yuma, Arizona is on the far southwest corner of Arizona, right on the tech, on the California border. And it's one of the hottest places in the United States. And it's an agricultural mecca. They irrigate that land and they grow four plus crops a year in Yuma. They grow they grow lettuce and cabbage during the cooler season. They grow cotton during the hot part of the time. They grow wheat. They grow fescue for seed. They grow they grow strawberries and those kind of crops. They grow all kinds of crops there. They have sunlight, they have water, they have soil, and they have carbon dioxide, which is also food for plants. So, again, you can't grow food on a glacier. Okay, let's go to number four, which sea level. Let's talk about sea level. So people say, oh, the sea level's going up. We're going to, everyone's going to drown. New York City is going to be underwater, which might not be a bad thing. But anyways, um, beside that, how do you measure sea level? That's pretty easy, right? You just get a ruler and you go out there and you measure it. But it's, you know, even on a regular basis, it's not that simple because you have tide and you have waves, you have barometric pressure, all these things that happen. So it's not just totally straightforward on how you really measure sea level. Apparently, um, prehistoric record in this proxy data shows that the sea level has been going up for 20,000 years. Ever since the end of the Ice Age, the sea level has been going up. So during the Ice Age, we had all these, all these glaciers that covered all the way down to, you know, through Chicago, down into the Ohio Valley. And then as, as it warmed up, those glaciers melted and the water ran off into the oceans. So it's been going up for 20,000 years. It's still going up. It's going up. And on the order of three millimeters a year. So three millimeters, it's either 0.3 or three millimeters a year. Three millimeters a year. So in a thousand years, at three millimeters a year, in a thousand years, it'll rise, rise three, three meters. Three meters. Is that bad? Is that good? Is that natural? It's probably not, it's, you know, when does it stop? Does it stop at some point? Does it reverse and go the other way? It's kind of hard to say. But it's not, it's not today an emergency. And it's not evident that we are causing it and there's anything we could do about it. What do you do about it? We're, if you believe that we're causing it because this two-tenths of a degree temperature comes up, again, did we cause it? And is it bad? So I, I, 
to me, the, one of the ultimate things is if it's, if it's a really an emergency, if it's really an emergency and people really, no kidding, believed that the oceans were going to rise in the next five or ten years and flood everything on the coast, you wouldn't be able to buy a house on the coast. They wouldn't sell you insurance for that house. Okay? Not going to happen. Really want to talk about natural disasters because, you know, everyone wants to talk, point to hurricanes and droughts and forest fires. But those are, a lot of those are just part of the natural cycle. And if the real climate science I talked about, Tony Heller, he's plotted those things and, and they've, and, and the scientists have plotted these hurricanes over the last 20 years, 100 years. And there is no correlation between hurricanes going currently and the temperature going up a couple of tenths of a degree C. In fact, over the last several years, hurricane activity is down relative to the past. Tornadoes are down relative to the past. One of the biggest forest fire years in the history of the United States some of the early were in the early 30s when we had a really drought conditions across lots of the United States and it was on the, one of the hottest times in the United States was I think 1934 it was in sometime in the early 30s so did we cause that because we really didn't generate that much hydro we didn't use that much hydrocarbons we didn't we weren't using that many that wasn't that much gasoline and and things being used till probably in the 50s and 60s. So number four, natural disasters, it, that is not something that you can claim that we, we're responsible for. So I want to just read a couple of little quotes that, you know, if you go on the drroyspencer.com site, there's... This is in the month of De- uh, December of 2020 or January of 2021. He's got, I guess, January 2021. He's got a, he's got a list of several papers in there that, basically, they were asked to submit to the White House and uh, about climate change and global warming, and uh, just a couple things that, that's in there. Um, in in the, this this is one quote it says that. The climate system is an example of a nonlinear dynamic, dynamical system, which means it can change all by itself. For example, slow changes in the rate of vertical overturning of the world's oceans can cause global warming or global cooling with no external forcing of the climate system whatsoever. So that's what you know, we, I mentioned before, the Atlantic cycle and the Pacific cycle, you know, Basically, the vertical overturning of the world's oceans can cause global warming or global cooling with no external forcing of the climate system whatsoever. This is coming from our climate, real no kidding climate scientists, not bartenders, politicians, and journalists. The other thing, um, as we talked about, the clouds drive, there's clouds, there's feedback loops, there's clouds, and you, know, you, heat, you heat, you cool, generate clouds due to cosmic rays, through sunspots, or through changes in the um, oceans, 
So you got to say, is it, is, are we having a positive feedback? Is it ramping up? Is it going to continue to ramp up? Or is it going to ramp down? Or is it going to be a cycle, you know, like a sinusoidal cycle? Don't know. There's no definitive answer to that. But most of these models don't take that into account. They don't take the, the feedback loop into account that as something goes up, maybe it's a feedback into the system, so the system slows down or shuts off. It's, this is a confusion between forcing and feedback, loosely speaking, cause and effect, when observing cloud behavior has led to the illusion of a sensitive climate system. When in fact our best satellite observations when carefully and properly interpreted, suggest an insensitive climate system. An insensitive climate system. So, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good technical information that's available and free and just takes a little bit of investigation, but nobody in the media and nobody, no politicians take the time to do that. We mentioned the uh, medieval warm period, the Roman warm period. There's pictures, you know, the receding, there's glacier, the glaciers in Alaska. Some of them have receded over the course of several years. And they've uncovered tree stumps, big tree stumps, not little tiny, teeny tiny tree, big tree stumps. And those trees don't grow in like a year. They grow in a hundred years. So these receding glaciers have have revealed tree stumps that have been radiocarbon dated to 1,000 to 2,000 years ago, indicating the climate system was different then. The well-documented Mendenhall Glacier has been receding for about 200 years, well before humans could have been the cause. For mature forests to have existed where there has more recently been a glacier emptying into the ocean suggests a significant change in weather patterns, precipitation, and temperature. This should not be surprising since the atmosphere and oceans are an example of a chaotic, nonlinear, dynamical system. All this means is that the climate system is capable of undergoing changes all by itself without any kind of forcing from humans, the sun, or whatever. So, conclusion. This is in the paper, the UH paper. These facts show that the hypothesis that humans have caused most or all recent warming involves a large measure of faith. As a result of the very large uncertainties in the energy flows in and out of the climate system, climate modelers adjust their computer models to not produce any internal climate change. This is the basis of their faith, that only humans can cause climate change. It's just, it's just faith. It's not real. It's not data. It's not the facts. If you enjoyed this, please uh, give us a, give us a good rating and uh, continue to co check back. And we will have more, uh, more episodes where we will discuss what's real, and what's myth. Take care, everyone. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Facts Are What Matter podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to catch our future episodes.